0: Heavenly Father, I pray, God, as we transition to your word, may the anointing be in this place. Uh, God, may I be faithful to what you say in your word. May I uh, give it and present it in such a way that's practical, that it can change and transform uh, lives as only you can do. Uh, Lord, we submit to you this powerful message of unity. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're in the middle of the series, in case you just kind of like are joining us uh, mid-January. We've been in a series... Uh, On prayer, where you take a look at like how Paul prayed and how Jesus prayed, and sort of like the big themes of their prayers. And we're going to try to take a big theme today uh, and put it into practice. Last week, I talked about praying big, specific prayers, because our prayers tend to be small and general, just like, Lord bless us, Lord, you know, give us traveling mercies, and all that kind of stuff. And so we we were challenged last week to pray big prayers, and to pray really specific prayers, and just see what what God would do. Not in a Way that manipulates him, but in a way that brings him glory and honor and and so uh, today I want to continue with the thought on on Christian unity because this is this is a theme which you 'll see all throughout the New Testament in particular, where the Paul and Jesus both prayed very specific prayers and if and if Paul and Jesus prayed it, then I kind of want to pay attention to it right you just want to know that this is a very important uh, content that revolves around unity that I'm going to bring to you today. Not just unity in the family of God, but unity in the body of Christ all over the world. Unfortunately today, the Christians are not always the most unified people, are we? And in fact, I've heard uh, people criticize all kinds of churches, including our church, and um, some of it may be legitimate, some not, um, but I've I've heard it, and honestly, I'm a big boy. I can handle it. It doesn't hurt my feelings at all. But tragically, that's just the way it is. Christians love to do that. It's kind of, it can be uh, sporting sometimes, just to, you know, fire at other churches, fire at other Christians, and be really critical. But I would argue that one of our enemy's greatest schemes is to divide the body of Christ. Because if we are united and we, we are just literally unstoppable in what we can do for the glory of God on earth, but if we're divided, we are deluded, we are weak, we are ineffective. And, and so we need to pray for power. And when Paul and Jesus prayed on this theme of unity so that we would glorify God, he says in Romans 15, and this will kind of be our text throughout the time together. If you want to open up your Bibles, you can go to Romans 15. We're going to kind of be traveling all over. Over in that text but let's begin in verse 5 where Paul says now may the god who gives endurance how many of you guys want endurance anybody want endurance and he says encouragement may he give you encouragement anybody want encouragement raise your hands if you want encouragement how about harmony do you want to live in harmony with one another in christ jesus that it's so that and he says with one mind and one voice you may glorify god and our the god and father of our lord jesus christ And he says, accept one another just as Christ accepted you in order to bring, and then here's the thought again, the second time, to bring glory to God so that you may be of one mind and one voice that you might glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, accept one another as Christ accepted you, again, to bring glory to God. So the prayer of Paul is that we would have one mind and one voice, one singular focus, that we would bring glory to God that's the whole purpose of unity, then you just talk about a real detailed and specific prayer. That's, that's an example of one right there. So now let's look at the prayer of Jesus uh, for unity. A great example of that is found, and there's others, but we'll look at John chapter 17. And starting in verse 20, Jesus prayed. He says, I pray not only for these, but also for those who believe in me. So he's talking now about those who believe in me through their message. May they all be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. So the unity that exists in the Trinity between God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, he's saying, just as it exists between us, God, I pray that that they would be unified, uh, God. May they also be one in us so that the world may believe. So why? So that the world may believe that you sent me. So why are they, why is he praying for unity? So that the world would believe, so the world would know who Jesus is and that you had sent me. I have given them the glory that you have given me. May they be one. Again, here he says it. As we are one, I am in them and you are in me. See us repeated over and over again, may they be made completely one so the world may know you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. So Paul and Jesus prayed for unity. Why? So that that God may be glorified and that the world may know that God sent Jesus to reach the lost and the broken world. So if we pray, may we be united. What are we really praying for? We need to be specific about this. We are praying for spiritual power. We are praying that we might be active in sharing our faith, that we may be united and unified in bringing glory to God, but also so that, that the world may see that the Father brought the Son and that the message of Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. The question I hope to answer today is why is unity so important to God? Why is it within God's nature to want us to be unified, and what does that unity really look like as we, as we walk through this together that's the question I want to address Uh, and of course we have to ask the question as well why do we always fight one another why is that uh, why do we tend to bring up our dukes and and want to fight tragically we end up sometimes thinking that the Christians down the street are the enemy But when we begin to realize in unity, and we pray for it, that we actually have a common enemy, and then in our common enemy, we begin to be united in the fact that our enemy's mission is simple. It's to steal, to kill, and destroy. And the enemy wants to steal the unity amongst the people of God, to kill the power that unity brings, to destroy the credibility of the local church. Because together, we can do more as the family of God than we can do apart. When we pray for unity, we pray that God might be glorified and that the world might know that he sent Jesus. That's, that's miraculous. That's beautiful stuff. So, so we're going to answer the question, why unity is so important to God, and then why do we always fight one another? But to help this to become a sort of intimate, ongoing conversation or a part of your life, I want to give you some practical thoughts, and I want to drill down into unity, because I think it can be one of those things sometimes. It's just a lofty concept. It's just, you know, an, an idea, but we want to take a really close look at what the scripture says. There's three three reasons that we do pray for unity. And number one, we pray for unity because we desperately need each other. We desperately need each other. Paul said it this way in Romans 12, 4 through 5. Now, as we have many parts in one body and all the parts do not have the same function, in the same way, we who are many are but one body in Christ and individually members of one another. We pray for unity because we desperately need each other. The hand is not the foot. The foot is not the esophagus. The esophagus is not the hair. The hair is not the, the, the heart. And all of these components work together in the body. They're specialized functions. And without those things, without each component, we cannot live, we cannot exist as an organism. And so as Christ's followers, we understand that we are many parts of one body. How many bodies? One, One. exactly. You guys are good listeners. And so, um, so, so we pray because we need one another. We literally depend upon one another. And so let me stop there and clarify an important point. Unity is not the same as uniformity, right? Unity is not the same as uniformity. But with this, there's actually strength in our great differences in the body of Christ. There's great strength in the diversity of the way that we worship, not just in America, but all over the planet where God's people gather together in different kinds of buildings and in different kinds of shelters and cathedrals and wherever it is that God's people gather, there's great differences. And our differences help us reach many different kinds of people. And I recognize this. I love our church. I love you guys. I love coming here on Sunday. If I wasn't your pastor, I'd still be coming here because I really love it. Um, but our church is, it's just not for everybody, right? It's not. And and I don't feel bad when people say that. It's not for me. My hope, though, is thats is this, that you have never heard me ever say something bad about another church, another denomination, Another ministry. And if, and that's my goal. And honestly, if I've slipped on that, I do apologize. But I don't want to push off of another Christian or another believer or a group of Christians to make myself look better, you know, to say things like, well, we're not like other churches, you know, like we're just not like them. Uh, when you're here, I'm going to tell you the truth, not like those other places, you know, other preachers won't tell you the truth. Uh, They'll lie to you, but I preach the word of God, you know, like I'm not going to take that stand. Here's my opinion. You tell it like it is, but you don't have to say like, hey, we're not like those other churches. What we don't want to say are things like, you know, we're not like those dead, boring churches. We're not like those, you know, those traditional churches. We're not like those crazy weirdos, you know, the ones that, you know, that got a little twitch. You know, we're not like them. Um, We're not like those small, rural, hillbilly churches, you know. Uh, So who cares what you're not like? Just be what you are. Just be what you are. You know, I I just recently, in fact, in the last few months, I was invited to go visit a small rural Idaho church Anybody ever been to one of those? Like, it's just how you'd imagine it, right? And you go in, and uh, there's just a, f- it's everything's red carpet, and the pastor's a little older, you know, and he plays the piano, and he all, he leads the worship, and then he gets up and he preaches, and there's all these little ladies clapping, and there's a tambourine, and they sing hymns all the time, and they know exactly, like, you know, where great, how great their art is in the hymnal, you know, like page 56, and they all go there, and they sing the first. You know, first, second, and then the fourth verse. I don't know why they don't like the third verse, but it's just like the tra- traditional, you know, rural Idaho church, and, and I loved it. I, it was so great, and the thing I noticed there as I looked around the room is a couple of things. Number one is, is that these people wanted to be there. There was so much power in that room. There was so much love in that room. I also realized as I looked around that they might enjoy visiting our church, but we wouldn't have a lot for them that they would want to grow in this church probably, and so I realized that they were reaching a whole demographic and a group of people that I wouldn't reach in my gift mix, and I was just blessed by that. There was power there. They're reaching people that we would never reach, and so my goal is to support, and to love, and to care about all these other churches that are in our, in our communities, and so if, if we're going to make a mistake, listen, as a church, if we're going to make a mistake. Let's err on the side of being for other believers, not against them. We're going to speak well of ministries. We're going to speak well of movements of other denominations. Now, now what I'm not saying is this. I'm not saying that we won't call blatant error as error, right? I mean, if somebody says Jesus was a sinner, no, I'm sorry, he was not. You know, we're going to correct that. We're going to say that's outside the boundaries of Christian belief. And so let me explain it to you this way. If you guys uh, can understand this, in your country that you live, you have a national boundary. When you go outside the national boundary, you 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 have to show that you're a citizen of some country. They're not just going to let you pass through. And in that, there's rules and customs. There's uh, a way of speaking. There's all kinds of manner of law that exists within those national boundaries that define what it means to be an American or a Chinese or Canadian or Mexican or whatever it is. And so those are national boundaries. But then within this country, right, there's state boundaries. And we know that those state boundaries are fluid. But they are different, right? You can, on one side, just eight miles here, that you can smoke something that you're not allowed to smoke on this side of the boundary, right? And there's differences, and those are state boundaries. Um, and so it's important to realize that that those exist. And what does that look like in the body of Christ? Well, there are some things that are boundary issues. Some, for example, like the deity of our Lord Jesus Christ, that Jesus is, is God himself. He's a member of the Trinity um, and is one of the uh, persons of the Trinity. That, that is a national boundary. If you, if you say that Jesus isn't God or if you say that there is no Trinity, that might be one of those issues that would put you Outside of the boundary of Orthodox Christianity or you say that Jesus was a sinner or you might say that the scripture doesn't have authority those kinds of things would be national boundary issue. But what about baptism? Where is that? Is that a state boundary? Yeah, it is. What about traditional worship versus contemporary worship? Is that, a, is that a state issue or is it a national issue? And so you have to begin to distinguish with wisdom those things which are important and which constitute what it means to be a Christian versus, um, okay, this is just a disagreement uh, among brothers. This isn't a disagreement, but you're still in my country. You're still part of my tribe. And so that might be helpful thinking about that. We're, what I'm basically saying is, we're not going to nitpick over. Well, you know, we have contemporary worship, and you know, or we have this is you're supposed to be traditional. And well, well you know, and we're not going to nitpick over those things when we literally have brothers and sisters being beheaded all over the world in other parts of the world. And we're not going to be we're not going to narrow in on these incredibly small things. And what you need to understand, by the way, is very intentional to say brothers and sisters being beheaded because they need us and we need them. You know, we've got to we gotta be we've gotta have some perspective, and we've gotta be aware of what's really going on. We're a part of a bigger family. Followers of Jesus in Nepal, in Tanzania, Pakistan, in Europe, in Nigeria from every nation our good God created. Some are rich, most are poor, and they speak every language you can possibly imagine, and, 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 and more denominations that you could even name, but yet they come together when they worship under one name, Jesus, our Savior, our one Lord. Our brothers and sisters all over the world are a part of our one nation, our Christian our, our, our Christian uh, Orthodox heritage. And we have to pray this that God don't just, you know, and the reason I say we gotta pray is we don't just hope, we don't just wish, or worse, not do anything about it. We have gotta be active in praying, praying for unity. And so, number one. Number two, we pray for unity because the world will see God's love. When we're united, they will see that we have an, that we have an active, active passionate love for each other, just like Jesus had for us. Uh, He demonstrated that. I love the imagery that Paul uses in Romans 15. If we sort of back up to that in verse seven, uh, if you remember, Paul said, accept one another, then just as Jesus Christ accepted you in order to bring glory to God. And so the word accept is just kind of in English. It's hard to get a really specific view of it, but I love the word there. It's the the Greek word for accept. It's both like long, which I love big words, but it's also very beautiful. It's pros lamb And so the Greek word there just carries with it the idea of walking hand in hand, literally taking one aside. So, I mean, think about that, like taking a hand and bringing somebody aside. That's accepting, bringing them with you. It's very specific, very beautiful, and I love that language. How did Christ accept us? In Romans 5.8, it said, but God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners... Christ died for us. And let's just not let, that's one of those verses we say all the time. But like while we were still sinners means like you can be very aware of all of the sins of your neighbors and be totally blind and, 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 and crushingly ignorant of your own sin. And what he says here is that while we were still sinners, while you were still a sinner, Christ died for us. So before we were perfect, before we had everything together, before we had it all figured out, he died for us. And that's why our reputation has to change. It needs to change, because instead of the body of Christ being known for what we are against, by the grace of God, we have to make known the one we are for, the person that we are for. And so again, let me say it: instead of the body of Christ being known for what we were against, by the grace of God, let let Him be known because that's who we are for. John 13, back to Jesus, he says in verse 34, I give you a new commandment. He says, love one another just as I have loved you. And he says it again, you must love one another. By this, what is the this? Well, it's not right doctrine. It's not denominational preference. It's not music style. It's not even correct version of the Bible. But by this, he means love love one another, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love one another. How do they know if, if you're a disciple of Jesus Christ? Right political party? No, th- you have love for one another. You have love for one another. And I want to just note to for a second, this is not just about unbelievers, but it's loving those that are in the church. Sometimes that's hard. Like, so I was thinking about this guy Ray, that uh, he, he kind of became a Christian out of a ministry that we had going into bars downtown in Tacoma, and we would just stand outside the bars. We were too young to go in, uh, but we'd minister to the guys that came out. And a lot of times, they were intoxicated, so it wasn't a very successful ministry, but finally, we had a guy, Ray, who, for whatever reason, he stumbled out of the bar and into the arms of Jesus. He was ready. God had him. He, he just grabbed him, and, and Ray, was, Ray was radically transformed, and it was so cool because all of the people that were around him, they just wanted to gather together to like you know, be around Ray because he was so like energetic for Jesus, and as he was kind of, like, getting out of a uh, multi-decades addiction to alcohol and other things. Um, he was uh, staying with another friend uh, at, at his house, and it was rough, man. It was rough, but we just saw God move in Ray's life. Everybody was rejoicing, excited, and everybody was talking about Ray, and, you know, and, and he, he would come to church, and people would want to sit next to Ray and put their arm around him, and he just had a big beaming smile. It was clear he was totally different. There was one thing, though, about Ray. He was still a little had some edges, you know what I mean? Like, I come from, I didn't grow up in a Christian family, so when I came to Jesus at 17, like, I had some edges like Ray did, but, like, Ray was way more, like, you know, he just, his language was still, like, every once in a while, he just dropped like, a bomb, and he was like, whoa, you know, and uh, and he was listening to some music and things like that that people didn't like, and and everybody kind of had, like, this, either the pro-Ray or, you know, and I started to notice, though, that sometimes we, as Christians, we're all about bringing our non-Christian friends to church or witnessing or evangelizing, but then once we get them, it's kind of like, you know, well, you know, unless you just disciple yourself really quickly, like, we don't have an intent to, to take you any further, you know, and that's not right. Like, the love that you exhibit to somebody, is not just about bringing them into the family of God, but it's also about bringing them further in their walk with Jesus Christ. So it's throughout their whole lives. It's not we just love one another, like, outside the church, and then once they're in the church, then it's like, you got to be perfect, or, you know, I'm going to thump you on the head. It's like, the love extends throughout the continuum. Do you understand? So we believe here at Venture Church like, that our prayers matter. It's why I always am trying to invite people to come to Refuel on, on uh, Tuesdays at 7 p.m. because we don't just pray small and general prayers, but we pray a big and, and, and very specific prayers. And my prayer is that God would unify his church and that we would stand together for his glory. And so the third thing is we pray for unity because, and I love this one, with unity we can't do more together. We can do so much more together. Listen, the local church is the hope of the world. Listen, I I believe in the local church. I believe in this church, but I believe in the local church, capital C Church. If you are blessed to be a part of the local church, this church, are you? I mean, I am. I'm super blessed to be a part of this. You know what? Support it. Love the people that are here. We've got your back here at Venture Church, but it's not, again, it's not for everybody. But let's play into our strengths a little bit and say, how can we leverage um, what we do have to serve the larger church? Like how taking all these blessings and all the growth that we've experienced, how can we take and translate that and begin to serve and leverage what we have to serve the larger church? Well, I'll tell you. Uh, Specifically, what we're going to be doing, and you'll notice this in the next month, is that once our second service is done, we're going to transition and invite in another church to come and participate with us, and they're going to use our facilities, they're going to use our kids' ministry. We're super excited about that. Then let me tell you a little bit about the church, and I'm going to actually invite up Dr. Io in a minute, but it's Redeemed Church, uh, Christian Church of God, and these guys are amazing. I've gotten to know uh, Dr. Io and I've gotten to know uh, some of the leaders at their church, and they're amazing people with heart for Jesus, and, and so what they're doing is they're reaching a group of people that wouldn't likely come here, and that is some African people, students and others, and their children, families that live in our area, and uh, they're, they're laboring alongside us in the same community for the same purpose that those would come to love and know Jesus Christ. So go ahead and come on up, and I'd like to just give you an opportunity to meet them. And um, again, this is, this is a way for us to bless another church uh, with our resources and uh, just in, yeah, I want to give you a chance to say hi.
1: Thank you very much for having me. Uh, my name is Dr. Ayo Harugundadeh and I pastor the Redeemed Christian Church of God here in Moscow. I am also, I'm also a professor at L.C. Lewis Clark State College. Uh, one thing I told Pastor Scott when I met him was that this was the first church I came to when I got to the United States in 2006. It was called Christian Life Center then. It was the first church I attended for almost two years. And we were so in love with the church that I remember then they gave us the facility, the kitchen facility, because we cook and we sell at the farmer's market. So they gave us the facility for free. But after a while in 2010, we started the Redeemed Christian Church of God to reach some of our African folks. And uh, ever since this year will be our 10th year, of starting the, the church. God has helped us to uh, to reach uh, many people that came to Idaho. And I remember it came to a time we were thinking of we need to change the, the place we were using because of the we don't have a place for the children. We just use the same uh, room for everything. And I said we should pray in the church. And we gathered together and we prayed. And I forgot about the prayer, but I remember that we prayed. And one time I was discussing with a friend at Utah. He's also a minister of God. And I was telling him, he wanted me to be a a member of the board of his church. And he told me how they got a new location and everything. And as we were discussing, the name of this church flashed to my mind. And I said, I was going to contact the pastor here. Maybe this is where we're going to move to, and hopefully they will accept us. <laughs> so, so, just using one of the <laughs> words of the uh, message today. And I, I sent one of our sisters here, and he said, the Pastor, would love to meet with us. And that is how I got to meet uh, Pastor Scott, and we are so much grateful for welcoming us into the church uh, for giving us the opportunity to be able to use this facility for our meetings, uh, uh, for our church activities. And for that, we are grateful to, to him and to the entire church. And we want to appreciate you. Uh, my wife is also there. Uh, she's Bukola and I have three children. Uh, the, the, my son is down with the uh, children's church there and my two kids' daughters there. Uh, as he was ministering, lastly, I remember the words of, uh, that was written in First Kings, uh, chapter nineteen, uh, from verses fifteen to seventeen. First Kings nineteen fifteen to seventeen. Uh, you know, Elijah was tired of life. He said, "God should take him because he wanted to die because he believed he was the only one serving God." And God said, "No, you're not the only one. I see about seven thousand people that have not bowed their heads to idol, and they are also my servants too." He said, I will give you an opportunity to anoint three of them, Elijah, Azahel, and Jehu. And he said, you know what? For you to overcome and conquer all the people of the world, I will have you to anoint anoint those three people so that anyone that escapes the sword of Jehu, oh, Azai will be able to capture that. Anyone that escapes Azahel, then... Elisha will be able to capture that. And I remember that in relation to the message. Oh, if the sinners are out there, anyone that eventually is not able to capture, or maybe the Redeemed Christian Church will be able to capture that for Christ. And anyone that Redeemed Christian Church of God is not able to capture, maybe the other ministry will capture that then for Christ because we are laboring together uh, as, a, as one body of Christ with our reward in heaven. Uh, So with that, I want to say thank you for having us, and thank you to Pastor Scott.
0: Oh, thank thank you. Thank you. So is Dr. Io and his church, are they going to reach people that we won't reach? Right. Does he dress better than me? Absolutely, 100%. All right, Thank you. Thank you so much. You're my brother, man. We are more alike, and uh, I, I love this guy, and I'm so glad to be on this journey with them. Um, and so welcome them. Welcome them to, today, but also um, after uh, the first of, of February, I think the first Sunday of February is when it's all going to happen, um, as, as, as their church is coming in and we're leaving, say hi to them. Like get to know them, get to know them by name. And it's just one of the ways that we can take and leverage that which God has given us. And yes, we have a building, and it's mostly paid for. And it's been a real blessing, but you know what? It's maybe not big enough for us, but, but we can still use it, and we can still leverage it to bless, to be united in love. And so, you know, honestly, this is the heart that the early church had that really made it thrive, you know? Uh, think about the early church in the first century. They, they had no buildings, like we do. They had no television ministry, no podcasts, they had no fundraisers, no capital campaigns, no tuck in your love gift or give us your credit card or anything like that. They had none of that. But what they did have, what did they have? Massive persecution. And I don't mean like tweeting something nasty about the pastor. Like, I'm talking about like, you know taking the lives in droves of those who 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 uh, said that Jesus had risen and so you know yet these people that we in the in the early first century church spread the gospel all over the known world and, and how did they do it? They, they did it because they loved one another. They were known by love. They were united, and they were united. That's, a, that's an illustration and a message for us. Taking a look at, like, Acts chapter 4, it's one of my favorite sections of Scripture. It, it talks about this, and it blows me away. In verse 32, it says, Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart, and soul, and no one said that any of his possessions was, any, was his own, but instead they held everything in common. It was like, if you want to come over to my house, don't even consider it my house. It's your house. Like, do you want to borrow my truck? You can have my truck for as long as you want. Do you need some food? Here's some food. Do you need a blanket? Here's a blanket. Like, my possessions are yours. You can have what I have, and, and we'll just share it as much as we can in common together. Like, to me, that's crazy love. I mean, that's next level Love. Like, that's, I don't get it, love. But that's the first century church. And then in verse 33, it says, And with great power, the apostles were giving away testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them. Great grace was upon them. And so there's an incredible power in realizing that we're not just individuals. I mean, as Americans, sometimes we can get into that Lone Ranger mindset. We're just individuals doing our own thing for Jesus. But there's great power as we come together as a family, as a family. And I'm going to argue all day long that the world is really sick and tired of hearing all about the love of Jesus. They want to see it. They want to see it. How will they see it when we love one another? I'm going to argue that all day long. The church is, is there. We need to proclaim. Don't get me wrong. We need to proclaim the love of Jesus. But matching that up, we have to show the love of Jesus because they need to see it as well. Paul prayed for unity. Jesus prayed for unity. And we want to pray for unity in the family of God so that God would be glorified and that people would know that he sent Jesus, can, you, can we dream just for a moment, please? What if we stood together, just in closing, I want to say this, what if we stood together, think what we could accomplish. It would, st- I mean, it starts when the church prays. It starts when the church stands together and we stop taking pot shots at each other. You know, and even in this election season coming up in 2020, it's so volatile out there. And, you know, I'm not going to say that it's worse than it's ever been, but in my lifetime, just with social media and anonymity and sniping online, it's the worst it's ever been in my lifetime. It honestly has been. And in this season, in an election season where, you know, some dude with the name starts with the letter T, elicits great emotion, both positive and negative on either side. You know what, as a pastor, I'm not going to be a part of that, I'm going to stand for Jesus, and I'm going to stand for unity, then I suggest to you that you need to take and sometimes lay those things aside, which really impassion you and begin to question. I'm not saying don't have opinions. I'm not even saying don't enjoy arguing this, but don't bring it out in such a way that it brings disunity to the body of Christ. And in addition to that, if it causes wounds, you need to back off. You need to maybe mute somebody on social media. Maybe you need to be muted on social media. Mute yourself. Self-mute. Because, listen, the unity of the body of Christ, Christ is so much more beautiful. Christ is so much more alive. Christ brings so much more joy than your little circle that you want to draw around yourself. Well, I'm on the right spot, and everyone else is an idiot. That's not unity. Unity is when we gather together under the banner of Jesus Christ. Look, you guys, if you're following Jesus Christ in here, you're my brothers, you're my sisters. We're on this together. We have a world to win, we have a community to serve, we have people that we need to reach. Disunity is all about breaking and fracturing that apart. Our church has been gracious, uh, or has been, God has been gracious to our church over the last year, and we've grown. We want to keep growing, but in order to do that, we have to grow in unity. And unity means to set aside our agendas and to embrace and love. Like even in my own family, I just have to sometimes like choke it down and say, you know what? I love my family. I love my mom. love my dad. The love trumps my opinion, my agenda, my wants, my need to engage. The gospel trumps that. And I want to have the love of Jesus emerge as we're a unified church, as we're a unified church. And so let me pray for us today that we would have um, unity together, that we would stand together, that we would give and give and give of our resources, of our energy, of our relational energy to bring unity. And, And again, that's not to say we don't have opinions. That's to say that those things are all subjugated into this, that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the great commission, and we have to carry that forward. Amen? Let's pray, Heavenly Father, may we be united. May we be one as you are glorified in, in, our, in our unity. Lord, as you, as you deserve to be made much of. God, as you are so glorious, so big, so, so holy, Lord. And, and we are just humble creatures here, God, sinful. And we need you, Lord. And, and, and being changed by you is all about this transformation because of your Holy Spirit. I pray, God, that the world would see and sense and know that you sent Jesus because of our unity. And Lord, may we never say or do anything from our own agenda that would, that would claw at the very uh, integrity of this church, God. I pray that all of us together would be steely-eyed upon the gospel and that that would be our banner, Lord, and that we would seek to spread it through compassion, through service, through, through, through Bible studies, through, through holding hands in difficult moments, through reaching out in compassion, for for serving in family promise, serving homeless families, God, for opening up buildings, for opening up homes, for serving meals, for whatever these people in this church are doing on a weekly basis. God, there's so much of that love that goes around. Help it to continue, Jesus, as we put our eyes on you. We love you, Lord. We want the joy to spread because it is real. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.